Hello and welcome to our latest Talking Sustainability podcast. I'm Laura Hodgson, a Knowledge Council in the Tax Department at Travis Smith, and today I am joined by Tom Margeson, an associate in our team, to talk about the topic of substance. Substance has gradually become a key requirement in an international tax context, particularly in relation to cross-border structures used by asset managers and multinational enterprises, and is relevant for the application of national tax laws and double tax treaties. A lack of substance in an offshore entity can be seen as a sign of tax avoidance, making it an important consideration in the wider ESG context of paying your fair share of tax and in thinking about reputational risks facing a business. However, despite its growing importance, substance is still a somewhat amorphous concept that can be difficult to define and even harder to apply in practice. Today, we're going to try and shed some light on this topic. We'll be discussing the meaning of substance, why it is important for taxpayers and how you can demonstrate it in practice. We will also finish off with a few thoughts on the future of substance and where we might be heading next. Tom, could you start off by telling us what substance is? Of course, and thanks very much for, for having me uh, in to talk to you today, Laura. So substance is the idea that taxpayers should only be permitted to benefit from preferential tax regimes to the extent that they have sufficient economic presence in a jurisdiction. And what constitutes sufficient economic presence isn't always clear and often involves a combination of elements. But I think in essence, it's about demonstrating that real economic activity is undertaken somewhere, typically in the form of people, assets and especially tangible assets, as well as expenditure. And why do tax authorities care about substance? Well, in recent years, policymakers at both the domestic and international level have become increasingly concerned about harmful tax arrangements which erode the tax base. And a lack of substances is, I think, seen as a key identifier of such harmful tax practices. The absence of substance suggesting that transactions are purely tax driven and the lack of substance requirements can often provide a means by which profits can be artificially shifted away from countries where value is created. And this was a key theme of the OECD's base erosion and profit shifting project. So the idea that taxpayers should have economic substance is really seen as a way of ensuring that taxing rights can be aligned with value creation and economic activity. That's really interesting. Do you think that substance is also important to taxpayers? Yes, I do. I think substance is really important for taxpayers. The absence of substance in a taxpayer's arrangements can increase the risk that the taxpayer will be denied access to preferential tax regimes or in some cases become subject to defensive tax measures from source jurisdictions. So uh, to take an example, a lack of economic substance can result in taxpayers being denied access to relief under double tax agreements. And this is because a number of jurisdictions have recently chosen to adopt a principal purpose test or what's sometimes referred to as a PPT into their double tax treaties. And very broadly, the PPT denies treaty benefits where it's reasonable to conclude that one of the principal purposes of an arrangement is to obtain treaty benefits. And whilst jurisdictions are still developing their interpretation of the PPT, a robust level of substance in the relevant jurisdiction is likely to be required in order for arrangements to fall outside the test and therefore to preserve the underlying treaty relief. 
So I suppose this means that if the taxpayer doesn't have sufficient substance, they might start to experience tax leakage on movements of money due to the inability to access treaty relief. Have there been any similar EU developments in relation to substance? Yes, there have. I mean, similar themes have also emerged um, in the European tax context and in particular in the, in the so-called Danish cases where the CJEU has indicated that, that national tax authorities should refuse to apply the EU tax directives where the recipient of a payment is, is broadly a conduit company. And for these purposes, the, the CJEU has indicated that a robust level of substance is likely to be required to demonstrate that a company is not a conduit. Are there any specific rules on substance? Um, for the most part, there are limited technical rules covering substance, and instead substance is, is more akin to a principle that underpins recent anti-voidance measures. The PPT and double tax treaties is, I think, one example of this. The test is not expressed in terms of economic substance, but the existence of economic substance is likely to be required in order to show that an arrangement should not be caught by the PPT. However, I think it's fair to say there has been increasingly um, a move towards the principle of substance being translated into more prescriptive substance requirements. Perhaps the best example of this is the introduction of substance rules in a number of low tax jurisdictions, including the Channel Islands and Cayman, following the threat of being placed on the EU's blacklist for non-cooperative cooperative jurisdictions. These measures generally apply, and we'll talk about them in a bit more detail later, to, to companies undertaking certain spec specified geographically mobile activities, which are sometimes known as relevant activities. What about beneficial ownership? Is, is substance the same thing as beneficial ownership? In short, no. Beneficial ownership is a, is, is a distinct concept that was originally introduced into the OECD's model tax convention in, in 1977. And in a withholding tax concept I think it essentially asks who actually benefits from the receipt of this payment. The term now appears in most double tax treaties and seeks to prevent treaty shopping by ensuring that benefits of the dividends, interest and royalties articles are available only to residents of the, contract, of the contracting state that are the beneficial owners of the relevant payment. And much like substance, that there isn't really a clear definition of beneficial ownership, but it is generally understood to be an objective test that's indifferent to the motives behind arrangements and to be directed at, at the more egregious forms of treaty abuse. Although, having said that, I think there are, I think some of the recent case law developments in this area, in particular the Danish cases, have suggested that beneficial ownership may require an element of qualitative decision making. What I mean by that is that in the case of holding companies particularly, the directors of those companies should have a sufficient degree of seniority and shouldn't sort of slav slavishly do as they're told. There's a sort of element of qualitative critique, I suppose. It does sound like substance is increasingly important to both tax authorities and taxpayers. But how, how does a taxpayer actually demonstrate substance in practice? <laughs> well, as we've already discussed, the, uh, the core of substance is about showing that an entity carries on real economic activity in a particular jurisdiction. And I think there are a number of pr practical points that can be made about demonstrating substance. The first is that the level of economic substance required generally depends on the activities undertaken by the entity in question. So, for example, a pure equity holding company 
is likely to require a lower level of substance than say an IP holding company. And that difference really reflects the higher risk of IP holding companies being used to artificially shift profits to low tax jurisdictions. The second point I think that can be made is that in the jurisdiction where detailed substance rules have been introduced, the focus tends to be on three things, direction and management, core income generating activities or SEGA as it's sometimes shortened to, and an adequate level of physical presence. So if we take Jersey as an example where these rules have been in, introduced and, and look at those limbs maybe in a bit more detail, firstly touching on direction and management, this generally requires that the company's board of directors meets in Jersey at an adequate frequency, having regard to the amount of decision making required at the level, and that there's a quorum of directors physically present in Jersey. I think it's also important for the company's key strate strategic decisions to be taken at, at those meetings, for the directors to have the necessary knowledge and expertise to discharge their duties, and for minutes and records of the company to be kept in Jersey. And in cases where there are corporate directors, I think these requirements will apply to the individual officers actually performing the duties within that corporate corporate director. And it's probably apparent to, to, to those listeners that that um, are familiar with with sort of typical tax concepts that these factors are also likely to be re very relevant to demonstrating that a company's central management and control abides in Jersey for corporate residency purposes. And so in practical terms, I think it's often the case that this limb of substance is unlikely to require a significant degree of additional compliance. The, the second factor that I mentioned earlier in relation to substance rules was, was this idea of SEGA or, or um, uh, core income generating activities. And SEGA requires that, as the name suggests, that the core income generating activities of NC are carried on in Jersey. And, and what those activities are will vary depending on the type of business undertaken by the entity in question. For example, a, a company undertaking fund management activity would be expected to take decisions on the holding and selling of investments, calculating risk and reserves and preparing reports and submissions to investors in Jersey. In contrast, an IP holding company might be required to undertake research and development, carry on activities through which intangible assets are exploited or, or take strategic decisions about the exploitation and protection of those intangible assets in Jersey itself. An interesting point on, on SEGA is that the rules do allow for core income generating activities to be outsourced, provided that the activity is still undertaken in Jersey and the company is able to monitor and control the service provider. I think in our view, care should be taken when outsourcing arrangements and it, it is probably the case that a certain degree of top level oversight will always be required in the entity in question uh, in Jersey. And then the third point I, I touched on earlier about, about demonstrating substances is physical presence. That is having an, an adequate level of uh, physical presence it usually boils down to three things. I think employees, expenditure and premises. So in other words, the entity should have an adequate number of employees physically present in Jersey. They should demonstrate an adequate expenditure in Jersey and have access to adequate physical assets as a minimum, usually a, a premises. And what constitutes adequate is, is not defined, but again is likely to depend on the, the nature of the business activity undertaken. Um, and as a final practical point, I think it is increasingly 
the case that substance is about more than just econ objective economic presence. It's also to a significant degree about purpose. And I think it can be helpful to ask, why is this entity being established here? And the greater the number of non-tax reasons for choosing a particular jurisdiction, the more robust that substance position is likely to be. Um, and in a holding company context, the question of purpose can also, and perhaps this is increasingly the case, be applied at the level of the of the shareholders in that holding company themselves. So when, when, for example, considering the principal purpose test, I think it can be helpful to ask whether, but for the existence of the holding company, the investors would get treaty relief. If it's the case that on a look-through basis, the investors would otherwise be eligible for treaty relief, it's, it's relatively easy then to say that the principal purpose of that arrangement is not to obtain treaty relief. The purpose of the arrangement is, is to provide a platform to make claiming treaty relief administratively simpler for investors. This issue obviously can become more complex where some but not all of the investors will be eligible for relief without the holding company. And in these quest these cases, I think the question arguably then becomes whether obtaining the relief is the principal purpose of the arrangement. Uh, and it's difficult, it is difficult to say where that threshold for something being a principal purpose lies. I think that's really interesting and useful, Tom. So what do you think the future of substance is? Well, I think the clear direction of travel in both international and domestic tax regimes is, is towards an increasing focus on substance. Um, I think our view as a firm is that is that groups should should continue to take a critical eye of their structures or to their structures to ensure that they have sufficient economic substance. And this is particularly the case for investment funds, which often rely on preferential tax regimes to ensure that proceeds can be repatriated on, on a tax neutral basis. Um, Perhaps of particular significance in this regard is, is the recent publication by the European Commission of a consultation which aims to introduce additional measures targeting the misuse of shell companies. Um, under the current proposal, proposals, the new measures, which are to be known as the, the third anti-tax avoidance directive or, or ATAD 3, will seek to define substance requirements for EU entities focusing on levels of employees, premises, functions and risks undertaken to understand whether there is real economic activity in a jurisdiction. Now, there, are, there aren't any examples provided in the consultation, but holding companies with passive income do appear to be the main target of, of these proposed rules. Um, for entities that fail to meet the new standards, possible counteraction measures range from sort of public disclosure of information about shell companies, monetary sanctions, denial of tax treaty reliefs and or deductibility of costs, which will affect not not just the entity in question, but also the wider group. Um, and as these proposals develop, I think it'll be interesting to see whether ATAD 3 sort of clarifies or, or materially shifts the definition of what is an acceptable minimum level of substance for, for holding companies in the in the EU. And the final theme I, I just wanted to touch on before before we finish, Laura, was um, to mention something that we discussed earlier, which was the idea of purpose, and in particular thinking about whether investors in a holding company would be entitled to treaty relief, but for the existence of a of the holding company. And I think, although only tentative at this stage, there are I think signs that we may be moving towards 
the idea of tracing in the case of double tax treaties. And what I mean by that is a, is a position where each individual investor in a fund will be required to show that they would be entitled to treaty relief in the absence of the intermediary holding company. This would obviously represent quite a significant break from historic practice and it would increase compliance and cost burdens for LPs, but, but in the fund context in particular. However, I think the approach isn't without precedent. For example, a similar approach is taken in the US with, with FATCA WAIMY forms. And in fact, the approach could, I suppose, lead to cost savings for investors if, if the holding structures that are currently put in place below the fund end up being eliminated. Um, I think it is fair to say we're, we're still a very long way off this position and, and the advent of, of vehicles such as the UK Asset Holding Company with its very wide uh, treaty access might end up sidestepping this issue entirely, but, but I think it's perhaps one to watch. That would certainly be an interesting development. Um, Tom, thank you so much for talking through these points today. If any of our listeners would like to get in touch to discuss any of the points discussed in today's podcast, our details can be found on our website.